Amen. Well, uh, if you're going to follow along in your Bible, uh, we're still in John because we're on week three of a series going through the Gospel of John. And so uh, just to give you a moment to find that in your copy of the Bible, it's the, it's the fourth book of the New Testament. If you're kind of new to the Bible, it's sometimes hard to find these things uh, because it's not in alphabetic order. You would think that, you know, they would just have them in alphabetic order, but uh, no, there, there's a different order there. What we're wanting to do with this series on John is that we're, what we see in the Gospel of John is that John makes some really bold claims about who Jesus is and what getting that right looks like for your life. And so what we're trying to do as a church and just as, as groups of us, uh, we're trying to, well, if, if he's right, let's see, let's see what this full picture is. And so what we're trying as a church is that we're going to spend about six weeks in John, uh, and then we're going we're gonna to go away. We've got a couple of things that we're going to look at for a few weeks, and then you know what we're going to do after a little while? We're going to come back to John. That's right. You've been paying attention. That's right. So our goal as a church, though, is that over the course of maybe a year and a half, two years, kind of coming to John and going away and coming to John, is that we would complete from beginning to end the entire book of John. And so that's that's our hope. Why should we choose the book of John? Why are we we learning this? Well, John makes this really big claim at the end of his book that the whole reason of him writing this is so that those of us who would receive Jesus would know that he is Lord, that he is Son of God, and as a result of walking in in that truth have life. See, what John believes about Jesus isn't, isn't compatible with like the American teaching of Jesus. The American teaching of Jesus is like, oh, he's a great guy. You should go to him for your moral values, right? You want your kids to learn to treat people well, and so we teach them the things that Jesus says. That's pretty good, but it's not, it's not the point of John. John's point is that Jesus is true, that he is real, that he is the foundation of the world, and that if we get that right, and if John is right, we, we become better spouses, we become better employees, we become better in su- supervisors. Basically, what John is saying is that a law of the universe is that Jesus is the word made flesh. And to get that right makes everything else make sense. You, to say it's a law of the universe, you know, like gravity is a law, like the law of gravity. Imagine, imagine I'm a rocket scientist, which is a big thing to ask, by the way, now that I said it out loud. Uh, and, and I am, hey, I'm going to start my space program, but that whole law of gravity, it's just like, that's good for you, right? If you want to believe in that, that's good for you, but I'm going to build my rocket. I'm going to build my space program, just kind of guessing about the, the law of gravity. I'm, I'm not going to be successful. Why? Because gravity is real whether I like it or not. Gravity is true whether I like it or not. John is making the same case about Jesus. It doesn't matter what we think or kind of what we grew up believing. The picture that John wants to paint of Jesus is that he's true. And to get it wrong is to cause dysfunction in our lives, but to get it right brings real life. And so that's kind of what we've done in the beginning of John. We've looked at, uh, you know, Jesus is the word. We, we talked about John the Baptist last week. I love this guy because we're going to look at him again in a moment. John the Baptist, he, he's kind of like, I know who I am. Uh, I'm the one who's going to make this pass really easy for you to see who Jesus is. And I know who I'm not. I'm not your savior. I'm not your Christ. And so John the Baptist had this really great ability to, he would, he would step into people's lives and say, there's Jesus. He's over there. And then when, you know, things got heavy, it would have been easy for John the Baptist. And if you're like me, you know, I do this a lot. I tend to stand in the way too long. I'm like, oh yeah, look, I'm, I'm helping you. I'm, I'm being a big help. Sometimes the most helpful thing we can do is kind of step out of the way and let people see who Jesus is, right? And so John the Baptist is a great example of that. We're going to pick up, uh, with kind of the end of that story, uh, in verse 35. So chapter 1, verse 35, if you want to follow along in your Bible. 
We're still seeing John the Baptist. We're still seeing this, this story play out. We kind of stopped halfway through. Uh, and, and it's been two days now of John the Baptist looking at Jesus and saying, there he is, there's the Lamb of God. And so we begin this, but it says the next day again. So it's like day three of this happening. It says the next day again, John, that is John the Baptist, he was standing with two of his disciples. So let me pause and just kind of paint this picture. Um, this, this idea of rabbi-disciple relationship, we don't have a lot of it in America. We don't, we don't know what this means exactly. But, but John has disciples. We always know that Jesus, he has his disciples. And a disciple is someone who attaches their life to their rabbi. They attach their life to the teacher. And their goal isn't just to learn math. It's not, it's not teacher-student relationship that we have. Their goal is to, that person seems to have life figured out. I want to do life like them. I want to be like them. The, the goal of a disciple is to attach themselves to their rabbi and to do their very best to look like their rabbi, to do life like their rabbi, to treat others like their rabbi treats. And so John the Baptist, he has some guys uh, and they're standing with him. And it's, it's been two days of Jesus walking by. And here's, here's what happens. It says, verse 36, it says, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, behold, the Lamb of God. John, John the Baptist, this is, how many times has he done this? He just sees Jesus. He's like, there he is. There goes the, the Lamb of God. We just sang a song. The second song talked, Jesus is the Lamb of God that was slain for us. And John the Baptist, he looks at him and says, there, oh man, behold. Now I have this uh, translation tip. If you're doing your Bible studies, uh, try this out because we're in Southeast Texas. We can do this. Uh, the word behold, every time it comes up in the Bible, like I want you to change it in your head to like the most like rednecky version voice that you have. And it's, it's check this out, like check this out because what, what is about to be said after behold in the Bible is always like, you won't believe this. It's always like, Hey, I'm about to, I'm about to go jump my motorcycle over this, these sharks or something. I don't know why Fonzie popped in my head, but that's, that's what happens is he says, check this out. Behold. The Lamb of God. John the Baptist, he's, he's sitting there. He, he has every reason, every temptation to try to build his platform up to, I'm a big deal, I'm a big deal. And he sees Jesus and he says, behold the, the, the Lamb of God. There he is, there, there he goes. Now, um, there's a podcast that I listen to. Uh, if, you, if you haven't heard of the Bema podcast, I recommend it. I, I had uh, somebody recommend that to me. And he, he was talking about this passage. And here's what he says about that, that verse, where it, says, where it says that he looked as Jesus walked by. There are two ways you can understand it. There's like the normal reading of the English is, you know, he just sees Jesus walk by. Day three, he's like, oh, there he goes, the Lamb of God. But this other way of translating, and this is the way that Marty Solomon, the guy who runs that podcast, he, he recommends it's, it's, he considers the way that Jesus lives his life. When, when it says that he walked, watched Jesus walk by, he just sees how this man is, is living his life. I, I like that. I like that because what we see with John the Baptist is when he sees Jesus and just kind of how he interacts with people, how he treats others, he just sits back and he says, that's, that's the lamb of, of God. So something that I, I find myself talking a lot about as we're going through John is that there are these two versions of Jesus that we need to, we need to get straight. We have the version of Jesus that's kind of talked about in media, talked about amongst friends, just kind of the Americanized Jesus. He's kind of a straw man. He's used a, as like rhetorical banter to kind of beat, beat things up. But then you have the Jesus of Scripture. And for some reason, the Jesus of Scripture looks so different than what people are talking about kind of in the normal vein of things. And what John the Baptist has done is what I'm going to recommend that you and I do. John the Baptist, he, he sees Jesus, and he just sees how he's living his life. He sees this real image of him. He says, there he is. I just, I'm convinced that that man right there is the Lamb of God. 
Okay, so what, what happens next? Verse 37. It says, the two disciples, remember John the Baptist is standing there with two of his disciples. They heard him say this. And so what did they do? They, they followed Jesus. Now that makes a lot of sense. If, if, you're, if you're attached to John the Baptist and you've been doing life with him, his entire ministry has been something like, hey, the Christ is coming, Messiah is coming, he's a big deal. And you're like, yeah, can't wait till he comes. You're probably thinking like war is going to come, it's time to go to battle. Who knows what you're thinking? But then he shows up and John the Baptist three days in a row is pointing at this man Jesus as there he goes. That, that, that is the one that we've been talking about this whole time. Two of the disciples hear it, and they leave John the Baptist, and they go and follow Jesus where he is. Now, I want to unpack that some more here in a moment, but what we don't see happen is John the Baptist saying, oh, wait, hey, guys, hold on just a second. Where are you going? Oh, you said that that was the Lamb of God. That's, that's the Son of God over there? Yeah, yeah, that's the Son of God. Well, I'm going to go follow him. You never see John the Baptist like, hey, hang on, guys. I need, like, you're in my crew. Like, you're my people, right? I'm, I'm going to, I'm trying to build something big here. I need you to stay right here. John the Baptist never gets defensive. He never, he never is like, hey, you know, why, why are you leaving me? Because John the Baptist understood something about success that, that some of us need to, to hear is that success isn't always up and to the right. For, for us, success is always more, more time, more money, more prestige, more respect, more, 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 up and to the right. Actually, I'm reversed, so up and to the right is this way for you. Up and to the right, always, always. And, and that's how we measure success. If you, if you go to like church growth conferences, the only way that they measure success in a church, church growth conference is you have 10 people, and then you go up and to the right, now you have 20 people. Then you have 200 people. It's always up and to the right, up and to the right. And, and John the Baptist, he's got a different model of success. For John the Baptist, success isn't always up and to the right. Success is obedience to Jesus. And, and this, at this moment, John the Baptist has built his following, and it's always been up and to the right. He's getting more and more disciples. And then this one thing happens. It went down. It, like, he lost some people, but it was success still. Why, why, why is this a big deal? You know, um, a cu- couple of things. One is uh, we as a church, we want to measure success accurately. We want to measure success the way that Jesus measures success. And so us as a church, we don't believe that success is always up and to the right in attendance. If, if you guys double next week, that's awesome. But if, if 10 of you come to me and you're like, hey, Jesse, I'm, I need to find another church. Uh, I feel like the Lord is calling me somewhere else. Praise God. I will have that conversation with you. I will even help you and give my blessing to you as you go and find another church. In fact, I will give you a list of other churches if you haven't checked them out to try them because I believe that God calls people to this place and I believe that God might actually be okay with other churches existing in our area and call your gifts and your talents into that place. I was, I was having a, a conversation with a pastor friend years ago. And, uh, he, he was hurt. It was, it was, uh, we, we were talking and there was this family that had been going to this church for, for years and years. And they had scheduled a meeting with him. It's like, Hey, I need to, I need to, I feel like God's calling us and my family to another church. This is like, you know, you, you can imagine why this, this friend would be hurt. You know, you, you go to, you go to the weddings, you go to the funerals, you go to the, the, the babies being born, you're, you're doing the counseling, you do all for years, you serve the family. And then, and then they say, they say, Hey, I need to, I feel like I need to go somewhere else. And as I'm talking to, to my friend, I'm like, yeah, I get that. I, I understand why, why that would, would hurt. But I kind of, I'm trying to do the silver lining thing, right? I'm trying to do the silver lining. I'm saying, well, you know, but if, they're going, if God's calling them to another church and that church is preaching the gospel, they're on the same side. So it's, it's not a loss. It's, you know, I had another pastor called it blessed subtraction. You know, it's, it's blessed subtraction. He usually used that about the families who were causing a stink that they would just, I'm out of here. Well, blessed subtraction. Uh, and, and, and so I tell, I tell my friend, I say, you know, if, if they're going to another church and God, I called them there. That's, that's a win. 
And, and I, he didn't receive it the way that I, I thought. And he says to me, he says, well, w- one day when you're a pastor and the family leaves, uh, we'll see if you still think that. Um, I, I get it. I get the hurt of that. Let me tell you, I am a pastor now, and I have had that conversation with people, and I am completely comfortable. It does sting, but I will sit with you. I will ask you, like, what are you looking for? And I'll help you find another church because, because success looks like this. And you, you're probably thinking right now, well, Jesse, if I ever plan a church, it's really great news. I know how to handle that and success. So what, what does this mean to me? Well, this means that success in your life isn't always up and to the right. Success in your life is measured by whether or not you're being obedient to Jesus in that moment, in that decision. Sometimes Jesus and following Jesus looks like an increase in your pay. And sometimes following Jesus looks like taking a little bit of a pay cut for something else. Sometimes following Jesus looks like going and trying out for the select ball and you're just like all your athletic skills are going to this. And sometimes success and being obedient to Jesus looks like all of your athletic skills are saying no to that opportunity that time because you feel like Jesus is calling you to this moment. Sometimes following Jesus and being successful looks like going for that promotion. And sometimes following Jesus and looking successful is just sitting and it's okay, buddy. You, you go for the promotion. I don't, I, don't, I don't have a sense of peace about that. I don't feel like I'm supposed to go for it. What, what we need to be comfortable doing as we, as we look at how John the Baptist did this is define our success well. It's not always going to be up and to the right if you're a follower of Jesus. And if you think it is, you're, you're heading for some really serious frustrations where being obedient to Jesus feels like failure because you've defined success as always up and to the right. Um, John the Baptist, he was comfortable letting people walk away. And so these two disciples, they, they leave and we pick it back up in verse 38. This is great because we're now in week three of the Gospel of John and this is the first time Jesus speaks in the Gospel of John and he actually asks a question. It says, Jesus turned and he saw them following and he said to them, what are you seeking? What a great question. And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher. I like that John gives us a little translation moment in here because John, he's writing this to multi-languaged people. And so he's like, hey, you may not know what rabbi means. It means teacher. Okay. So, you know, a little Aramaic, a little Hebrew there. Uh, And he says, means teacher. And he says, where, where are you staying? And then it continues. It says, uh, he said to them, uh, come and you'll see. Where, what, what is it that you're seeking? Jesus asked them. Now he turns around. They've been seeing Jesus for the last three days. For three days, John the Baptist has been pointing to him like, there he is. There's the one who's been promised. There's the one who's greater than me. There's the one whose shoe I'm not worthy to untie. And now the disciples start following him. And when Jesus turns around, he sees them following him. And he asks the question, what are you seeking? What are you seeking? I wonder... I wonder how many times we, uh, as, as, a, as a culture, as a, as a community, we make decisions without asking the question, what, what are we seeking in that decision? Uh, all the psychologists tend to agree is that, that we tend to be on autopilot for most of our decision-making process. When, when uh, someone cuts you off in traffic, and uh, I actually saw this the other day. I'm, I'm driving down Twin City Highway. Someone cuts somebody off in traffic, and you know what that person does behind them? They don't like, oh man, you know, I was driving too slow. They don't, they don't ignore it, right? They, they hit the gas, they swerve left, the car in front of them swerves left to cut them off. So they swerve right, pass them up, get in front of them and lock up the brakes and just come to a screeching halt. And I would just love to just grab that person and ask plainly as Jesus, like, you know, maybe, maybe I shouldn't grab them, but it's like, what, what were you thinking, man? <laughs> like, what were you thinking would happen by you just locking up your brakes and stopping traffic in that way? What, what were you hoping to, to find in that moment? 
And honestly, they would probably say, I don't know, it just, like, it just it hit me. Like, it just instinct took, took over. Jesus asked the question, what are you seeking? And I think what he wants to know is, have they even thought about what they're wanting to follow? When, when, you, when you decided for the first time in your life to follow Jesus, what, what were you seeking in that moment? Were you seeking peace, truth, power? Hope? Were you seeking heaven? I'll be honest with you. The first gospel presentation I ever met was this this kind of country pastor. He said, Jesse? I said, yes, sir. Do you want to go to hell? No, sir. Well, do you want to receive Jesus? Yeah, I think I do. And so what I wanted, what I was seeking was a way out of hell. And I just found out about hell that day. So it was like it was a mind-blowing moment for me. What, What were you seeking when you first started following Jesus? Jesus turns and he looks at these two guys following him, like, what, what are you looking for? When you, when you made that last big purchase, house, car, whatever it was, what, what were you really seeking? Oh, you know, I just, I needed a new car. My car was breaking down. Okay. But what were you really seeking? Were you seeking like security? Were you seeking like, you know what? I've been driving this hoopty for a while. I need people to know I'm kind of successful. So I got a little, little flash where, oh, so you were seeking status, not a car. You were seeking status. When, when you asked her out, or when you, you turned him down for asking you out, like, what, what were you seeking? Oh, you know, I just, I wanted, I wanted to, you know, spend my life with him or her. Or no, I wanted, I wanted to, I wanted to have security. I wanted to have comfort. I wanted to have companionship. I need, you know what I was seeking in a relationship? I was seeking someone to complete me. Listen, uh, that's Jesus's job. And your spouse or your girlfriend, your boyfriend can't do that. And if that's what you're seeking, you're going to be very disappointed over a course of time. What, what are you seeking really? There's, there's all kind of psychologists, they, they try to, to unpack this. There's a guy named uh, Abraham Maslow. If you're in the education world, you already know who Maslow is. Uh, I want to put a picture of him up here if we can. Uh, there, there's Abraham Maslow. He, he's kind of in the early part of the 20th century, and he put together Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And here's what Maslow came to, to figure. This is after Freud and a couple of other guys. Maslow looks at all the other guys before him and says, you know, you're all about like the negative side of the human condition, but there's beauty in the human condition. And and what Maslow wants to do is try to understand people's decision-making. Because a lot of times people continue repeating the same behaviors over and over again, getting a negative consequence. And he's like, why would you do that? Why would you keep doing that? And so he comes up and he discovers what, what I think many educators have kind of built their, their pedagogy on is what's called Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And basically it's this, is that all of your decision-making in all of everything that you make, according to Maslow, you're going to start at the bottom. You're going to try to fulfill your most basic needs first. If you happen to get your most basic needs, then all of your decisions become the next thing. And so for him, the most basic things you need are air, water, food, shelter, sleep, clothing, uh, uh, companionship, reproduction. Like you're going to, you're going to, you're going to try to fulfill those things first with your decision making. Uh, and then, and then Maslow will say like, once you have those things taken care of, then you start to go to safety. And so, and so all of your decisions, all your actions, all your activities are like, I need shelter. I need protection. I need, I need extra income to be able to protect myself. And then, and then once you get your safety, then, then you move to love and belonging. And after you get love and belonging, after you get friendship and intimacy and, and companionship, then, then you move to esteem. Uh, this is how people look at you, your status. And then Maslow would say that you move on to self-actualization. I'm not trying to do a psychology lesson. I'm trying to explain to you uh, Maslow is, is kind of saying the same thing that Scripture says, is that sometimes our actions betray what we're really seeking after. You know, teachers in the room, you have that one kid who's just, 
you know, they're kind of rowdy and they're kind of angry and they, they're getting into fights. And then they say to you, like, I don't have any friends. I don't have friends. What are you seeking? Oh, I'm seeking, I'm seeking safety. I'm seeking significance, actually. I'm, I'm looking to love, be loved and to belong somewhere. Maslow kind of tapped into this thing that I think, I think that we're going to see right here is Jesus asks us the question, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And so he says back to them, verse 39, come, you'll see. So they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. It's about 4 p.m. Everybody's getting hungry. Hey, hey, Jesus, uh, uh, where are you staying? It's like, why don't you, why don't you come and just spend, spend the day with me? Come, come hang out. And so they, they were getting hungry and starting to get late. And Jesus's response was, was come, come and see. You know, um, when Jesus asked the question, what are you seeking? Uh, they didn't feel inclined to actually let Jesus know right away. They didn't answer the question. They're just like, hey, just tell us where you're staying. We'll, we'll come sit with you. And Jesus' response is, hey, come, come, come and see. Why don't you just come and, and look and watch? I, I want to invite us uh, to, to kind of unpack this together. You, if you're a follower of Jesus in this room, you're like, hey, this is my life. I want people to know who Jesus is. Listen to me. This may be the most freeing thing I'll say to you. You're under no obligation to answer every spiritual question this world has to offer. Someone says, hey, why, why are you following Jesus? What's the big deal? Okay, well, but what about this? And you could just, hey, Jesus like, hey, just come, come and see. Come, come and check it out. Jesus' invitation to these men was to just come and just watch him, the real him, and do life, not, not into a spiritual argument, not into theological matters. He, he invites them to come and see. So they did. It says this, so they came where he was staying and they stayed with him for it was about the 10th hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. So, so here's, here's what we have so far. What are you seeking? Jesus asked. They have a conversation. Jesus says, why don't you just come and see? Come and see. Um, and so they spent the day with Jesus. They got close to Jesus. They did their work. They didn't, they didn't take somebody else's opinion on who Jesus was. They, they looked and they, they saw. And the next day, Andrew has a response that he's going to make. What does he do? He goes and gets his brother. It says in verse 41, he first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. Thanks for translating, John. Uh, he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. So he gets the name now, Simon Peter. Andrew spends one day with Jesus and his response is, I've got to get somebody else with me. I've got, I've got to go over here and I've got to find somebody and bring them to the source of hope that I have. What's implied here, by the way, is that Andrew's been following John the Baptist for who knows how long. At no point do, do we know of that, that uh, Andrew's like, hey, Simon Peter, you've got to come here. John the Baptist fools out of here eating locusts like an apple. He's got camel hair on. He stinks, but he's really cool. He'll go like fight a honey hive and, and he'll, he'll drink the honey. Like nowhere is anybody inviting them to follow John the Baptist. But as soon as he gets close enough to Jesus... He says, you know what? I need you to just come and see this guy. I want to ask you, in your walk with Jesus, are you comfortable just letting questions sit out there? Are you comfortable letting people have confusion about who Jesus is and what he's capable of or what he's done in your life? Or are you the type, like me, uh, who, like, I've got to have an answer for all the things. And I'm just going to answer the questions, answer the questions. At zero times in the book of John, the spoiler alert, I know we're early in it, at zero times does Jesus say, hey, I want you to agree with everything that I say. The invitation isn't agree with me. The invitation is, come and see, come follow me, 
follow me. You know, what, what we need to be comfortable with, Christians in here, we need to be comfortable with people having different views of things and just letting it be. Like, I, I respect that you have a different view. But if they ask you, or if you have the opportunity, your invitation is not come see John the Baptist, not come see, you know, a preacher. Go to wherever you know where Jesus is, where they're going to get a good view of who Jesus is, and bring them to Jesus. Just come and see this Jesus. I want you to try him out. I just want you to hear the truth of who Jesus is. The, the truth is this, though. This gospel, um, it sounds too good to be true. It, it is so good. If, if your understanding of who Jesus is or who, what the gospel is, if it's, if it's kind of dry, if it's kind of stale, um, that's, not, that's not the gospel. That's not the Jesus of Scripture. Um, it is so good that even if you come to the conclusion that it isn't true, you should be walking away like, I wish it was, though. I wish that it was. And people who have followed Jesus, uh, I've, I've become compelled that this is true, that this message is true. I, I have personally found life in following Jesus. And I know so many in this room have found life in following Jesus. So if you're just like, I would say like putting your toe in the Jesus water, you're like, hey, I'm just checking out this Christianity thing. I'm not ready to take that dive yet. Then all the invitation is this, not believe yet, just come and see. Just come and see what Jesus is capable of. Andrew, the first thing he does is goes and gets his brother. Let's, uh, let's speed up so I don't, don't run out of time. But we're going to see this played out over and over again. They just go and they get people and they're like, just come and check him out. Just come see what this Jesus is about. Verse 43, the next day, uh, they've gone to sleep. They wake up. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. Uh, let me pause for a second and just say something. If, you, if you're into Bible study, uh, th- this is helpful. Uh, the book of John uh, is different than the other three Gospels because it plays with time and geography quite a bit. Uh, it, it doesn't care that things are sometimes out of order. It's very obvious in moments like this because, because you, have, you have him saying, like, the next day they're going to go to Galilee. It's 60 miles away. So they decide to go to Galilee, and they, they go. Um, if, if, you, if you're interested in hearing more about why the Gospel of John kind of is funny with time, just come and say, hey, Jesse, I want to talk about the synoptic Gospels. And that, that will be code for a really long and exciting conversation if you want to nerd out with me, okay? Uh, but I just want to show you that there's some there's some strangeness here that he's saying, hey, uh, the next day they, they, he decides, I'm going to go to Galilee. It's like 60 miles away. And he finds Philip and he said to him, what does he say? Hey, believe everything that I believe. No, he doesn't say that. He doesn't say, hey, do you confess that I'm Lord right now? And, you know, Philip's like, I just met you, man. Like, let's, uh, let's get to know each other a little bit before I start confessing you as son of God. The, the, the invitation again to Philip is, hey, uh, why, don't you, why don't you follow me? Just come and see. And he says, follow me. And so Philip's like, okay. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, which is on the north side of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, and that's also the city where Andrew and Peter are from. And it says, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Hey, uh, Philip goes to his brother and he says, hey, guess what? You know that guy that's been being promised for the last 2,000 years in the, we would say the Old Testament, he would just say the Testament. Uh, you know that guy who they've been talking about, that Moses talked about? You know that guy that Joshua talked about, that Noah talked about, that Eve was promised? You know that guy that Ezekiel talked about? You know that one guy that we've been looking for all this time? I found him. I found the Messiah. I found the source, the meaning of all of this. He's here, he's now, I found him. And let me just... Put, put your real life hat on for a second. Like if somebody comes to you and says something that big, that bold, are you like, oh, yeah, I'm selling everything. Let's go. No, 
Like all of us are like, come on now. Like we've been looking for this guy for 2000 years. You're telling me he showed up and you found him. Your little brother found him. Come on. Your little brother's never found anything. He can't find his left foot. He can't find anything. He did not find the Messiah. There's going to be a little bit of doubt, a little skepticism. And that's natural. If you're, if you're thinking, again, right now, you're just putting your toe in the Jesus-y waters, and you're thinking, I, I don't know. Well, that's fine. That skepticism is totally normal. Here's, here's what um, Nathaniel does. It says, he says, we found him, son of Joseph from Nazareth. And Nathaniel said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? I was like, come on, really? Can anything good? I live, I live in Central Gardens, uh, which is, uh, you know, down the road. And some of you are thinking right now, really? My, my pastor's from Central Gardens? Like, can anything good? Yeah. Yeah, something good came out of Central Gardens, okay? Uh, can anything good, think, think of whatever like podunk backwater town you could think of, and they're saying the Son of God came from there. You know, like, come on, really though? Really? From, from I, I don't want to, as soon as I say any other city, I'm, I'm going to offend somebody. So Central Gardens is where I'll stay. Uh, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip didn't answer with anything more than come and see. Look at that again. Now, he doesn't say, well, you know, you got to understand, uh, uh, Nathaniel. You've got to understand the prophecies concerning the virgin birth. You've got to understand Bethlehem. You've got to understand what Isaiah meant by the suffering servant. He doesn't get into the weeds with him. Nathaniel's only response is, hey, I found life. Come, come with me. Come, come and see. So Nathaniel does. He's like, okay, I will. Jesus saw Nathaniel coming towards him and said to him, behold, check this out. An Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. That podcast that I mentioned earlier, the Bema podcast, has an amazing uh, kind of episode about just this one passage. Go and check it out. I'm not going to try to explain all of it, uh, but but it's it's really good. Jesus sees Nathaniel coming. He's like, ah, here is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Can't fool that Nathaniel guy. And Nathaniel's like, dude, I, I don't even know who you are yet. Nathaniel said to him, how do you know me? And Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, you know that, you know, Philip, just, I saw you. I saw what you were doing. I know what, I know what, I know what you're saying. I know what you were thinking. Nathaniel answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe you will see greater things than these? And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. You know, Philip, he doesn't convince his brother that Jesus is the Messiah. He just brings him to him. He says, come and see. What, what are you seeking? What do you want to find in this world? And, and when people had the invitation, they're like, well, I don't know. They have a little bit of an objection. I don't know about this Jesus. I don't know about your claims. Hey, just, just come, come and see. Come and see for yourself. If, if you're, if you're kind of in the boat right now of, uh, I'm just, I'm just wanting to, to test this out. I would invite you to really come and give Jesus a good solid look. Ask your questions. Find someone who knows Jesus, who claims to be a follower of Jesus and ask your questions. Okay. Well, what about this? What about this? And they may not have all the answers. Come, come and ask me. Uh, I'm not going to have all the answers and that's okay. But, but if you're going to say no to Jesus, Make sure you're saying no to the real Jesus and not the Americanized Jesus that's just used to beat on people who vote the wrong way, okay? Be sure that you're saying no to the right Jesus. I suspect, though, that if you give Jesus a good, solid look, that if you get close enough, you're going to find life in his name because everybody who's ever gotten close to him has found life with him. If you're a Christian and you're like me, you're terrified of not having the right answers. It, 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 sometimes, some of us, it's like, what if they ask a question too big? Here, here's some really good news. Listen to me carefully. Um, 
it's a good thing if they ask you a question too big for you to answer for one of two reasons. One is it's because Jesus is real. He doesn't really need us to be his PR campaign. I believe that the power of God is at work, whether or not I can convince you of it. It's just there, like just come and see and experience it. Uh, it is a good sign that I don't have the answers to all the questions. If I did, that would make this a little less likely to be true. The second thing about that is, is that if you ask me a question that's too big for me to answer, it makes it really easy for me to step out of the way. Like I don't know. And I just get out of the way because my temptation, like so many other people's temptation is like, I want to, I want to be the one to help you. I want to be the one to stand there. And just like John the Baptist said, and we looked at last week, his job is to just make it as easy as possible to see Jesus. And then whenever Jesus says, what are you looking for? He's like, just come, come and see. Come and see, come and see for real what he is about. I want to uh, close with a question. We've been, uh, I didn't intend when I started the series asking these questions, but every, every end of a message we've asked the question. And then I just want, I just want to ask this. It's like in, in your day to day life, what are you looking for? Just like Jesus asked, what are you looking for really? That, that, that argument that keeps coming up over and over again, it's on repeat. And it's, it's been happening for a month, two months, six months. And it's just like, it, at some point, maybe, maybe what you're looking for isn't there. Maybe, maybe the solution isn't there. Maybe, maybe what you're looking for is the need to have a different conversation with your spouse or whomever that conversation keeps coming up. What behaviors do you see repeated in your life over and over again? Um, it might be that you're looking for something and you're using these behaviors. You're finding things that aren't, aren't helpful. You're finding things that don't bring you life. The promise of being satisfied because that ad told you that if you bought this product, you're going to be so happy. You're going to, you're going to, all of your wants and all of your desires, all you need is a Land Rover. And like you will, you will have the adventure of the lifetime. And you go buy a Land Rover and you can't afford the gas to put into it because what you were looking for really isn't in the Land Rover, just debt and, and faulty mechanics. I think, I think that's not a, a wise purchase, but, uh, what, what are you, what are you looking for really? At the, at the end of the day, you and I want to have our foot on a firm foundation. If you're looking for a Jesus who will lay out the plan of your entire life from now until you, the day that you die before you take the first step, you're not going to find him in scripture. He doesn't, he doesn't reveal everything, everything that you're going to go through. Imagine, imagine if, if Jesus turned around and says, what are you looking for? We're like, Hey, we're looking for Jesus, son of God. He goes, okay, well, I'm going to tell you. You can follow me, but it's gonna, you're gonna get beat up a couple of times and you're gonna get hung on a cross in about 40 years. You, you sure? You want to? And like, I don't know. That's, that's a lot. The whole life, if they wouldn't have been able to handle it. John, Andrew, Nathaniel, Philip, Simon, Peter, they all died for following Jesus. If, if you're looking for a Jesus that's gonna lay out the rest of your life in a clean, easy to organize manner, he's not there. But here, here's what he does give you. Just follow me. Take one step of obedience towards me. And the promise is, if you do that, you start to build your life with one step of following Jesus at a time, you're going to find life. I don't know what you're really looking for, but you're going to find life. You're going to find life that is eternal in the, when you die, you know, life continues since, but it's so much richer than that. You find life now. You find life in richness in your relationships. If, if, G, if, if John is right about who Jesus is and we do this one thing and we follow him, we take one step of following him, you are a better spouse, you're a better parent, 
You're a better employee. You are better at everything because your life starts to fall into focus because the one who is the truth, the one who is the foundation, the one who is the word made flesh is Jesus. And to follow him is like admitting the law of gravity is true. It's just, it's just the way things work. That's, that's what I've been compelled to believe. Uh, if you have questions, uh, let's, let's chat. But let me pray for you. Then uh, we'll watch the, the queue together. Father, uh, this morning we, we come to you. Um, we come to you, just, just come and see. Uh, we, we'll take the invitation to follow you. Uh, Father, I want to pray for those in the room who have been following you for a while that um, they would still have a hunger and thirst to come and see what you're about to do, uh, to take one more step of obedience towards you, to again see life in your name. If that, if that step of obedience is in a hard conversation or a difficult decision or something that's, that's just uneasy, Lord, I pray that you would give them courage and wisdom now to, to just know that success looks like obedience and nothing more and nothing less. Father, I pray for those of us in here who are, you know, we're unsure and, and we don't know. I, I pray that you would open our eyes uh, and that we would see clearly who you are. What, what is this invitation? Who are you that is calling us to, to follow you? I pray that they would see you clearly and that they would make their decision uh, wisely. Uh, I pray that more people would find hope in the name of Jesus and would uh, confess you as Lord. We love you. We pray that you will continue to save our community, continue to heal our community and, um, We just want to follow you. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.